They don't care about your 900 years of combined experience or your wall of books. They only want to know one thing. Once they've signed on the dotted line, are you going to take care of them? Welcome to the Judge Shaw way, where we believe providing an exceptional client experience is just as important as quality legal representation. From secret tips for creating unforgettable wow moments to proven customer service pointers, the Judge Shaw way is everything you need to go from being a good lawyer to owning a great brand. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm Judge Shaw. Today's guest, Corey Vandenberg of Clixy, SEO company out of Utah. And they do some really great work. They handle industry specifics from personal injury to other industry-wide companies, including reputation management. Today's guest, Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you, Judd. I believe you're in Utah right now, right, Corey? Yeah. I usually tell people that I'm in Salt Lake City because no one knows any cities besides Park City and Salt Lake, but we're just about 30 minutes north of Salt Lake. You live there. Yeah, born and raised. What is uh, Slot Canyon? Hmm. So I am into a sport called canyoneering. And we, as my, so my dad loves those jokes. Like when he hears about people who go skydiving, he's like, you jumped out of a perfectly good airplane on purpose, right? So I always tell people that I go down slot canyons on purpose. Slot canyons are down in southern Utah, where on the Colorado Plateau, lots of uh, erosion has created some canyons. I mean, there's thousands of them, but uh, we have all the gear, ropes and, and all kinds of different equipment to actually descend down and explore them. And we do it pretty frequently during the, the season, if you will, when, you know, when there's no snow. So what gadgets are involved? Opposite to climbing, we actually use static ropes. So there's always a lot of reading what's called beta in the industry, which is basically routes that have already been explored. And then there's really intricate descriptions of here's how far down you're rappelling on this particular rappel. And it'll list out all the all the different obstacles that you're going to run into. And there's a, there's a rating system that you have to understand. So the standard equipment is like a, a harness and a rope. And then you have things like descenders and uh, helmets. In fact, I had, the way I met my mentor, I knew him previously, but I had no idea he was into canyoneering. And I got on Facebook because I was so excited about the fact that we had just gone down this famous canyon in Zion National Park called the Subway. And... I posted all these pictures in a canyoneering group and I had no idea what was about to happen to me, which is that I was about to get castigated for all of the rookie mistakes that we were making that were obvious from our pictures and our videos. And so he private messaged me and he's like, hey, man, why don't you come over and I'll talk to you about some of the things that, that you need to do so that you can enjoy this safely and come home to your family. So it's been about six years since I started. I read or heard you were always have been a little MacGyver, sort hmm. of, right? Even growing up, I, there's a story about you, uh, I, 11, 12, or 13 years old with a Rambo explosive <laughs> arrow. Can you tell the listeners a little about that one? That might be 
my kid's favorite story. It's probably the one that gets repeated the most. I'm well known amongst my friends and family as a pyro. And I've got some great stories, but the the exploding arrow in particular, my so my childhood was really unsupervised. My, both my parents worked. And so during the, the summer times, it was me, my little brother and my little sister. And I was in charge. And one year I got this idea. I saw my dad's hunting arrows and I knew where all of his ammunition was where because he, he sometimes would do reloading. And so like I had watched Rambo and my brain just started assembling this exploding arrow in my head. I was like, okay, I, I, I get it. I see how I could do this. So I put it in a, a vice and I cranked on the tip and removed the tip. So now you just have a, the end of a dowel rod basically. And I emptied all the buckshot out of a 12 gauge shell and I shoved the shell over the end of the arrow, duct taped it. I took one of the buckshot and I placed it on the primer and I used some of my silly putty to like hold the primer or the, the BB on the primer. Right. And uh, my dad had an old recurve bow and I stood probably 50 yards or so uh, back from his garage, <laughs> which, I mean, that just makes perfect sense, right? Aim your exploding arrow at your dad's garage. And uh, I drew back on that bow and I was just aiming at the garage and I, I let that guy go and I hear bam. And the arrow fletching hit my ear as it was coming back past me. So I learned, you know, the the uh, equal and opposite reaction law of the universe that day. And I don't know how I didn't impale myself or light myself on fire. Somehow made it through my childhood. But that was definitely one of the, the more entertaining inventions of my youth. So you go from building explosive arrows. Every boy who saw probably Rambo, including myself, thought that was cool, but you actually figured it out. I wanted to. Something like what happened, I guess, I think in 2007, right? When SEO- Came a thing. Became a thing, right? Before it was mm -hmm. actually, before that was actually cool. You, you, you know, you did that. And uh, Google launched Maps, I think at that time, right? And that's when you jumped into it. Tell us a little about Clixie. Yeah, real quick. So- We've been through several different iterations of the company. It's always been my business partner, William. It's kind of one of those weird sort of right-hand turns in life where you did, you end up where you never would have guessed. At the time, we were actually buying houses and flipping them. And we had started goofing around with this Google thing because we figured out that you could keyword stuff, which is basically spam. We could just spam the maps. And we would rank for all these real estate terms, right? So it was awesome. For like six months in the first part of the life cycle of maps, we ranked for all these real estate terms and we were getting leads and calls for, for gigs. And, and then, of course, 2008 hits and <laughs> you couldn't give a house away. And so what started to happen was this natural snowball of hey, we've got this skill set. Mm. It's a valuable skill set. There's a lot of people who would love to have it. And then colleagues and friends and family started saying like, you know, that weird uh, Google stuff. Could you do that for me? An attorney friend who I had gone to high school with 
finished law school in San Diego, says I'm moving back and I'm starting a new practice in Utah. Is there any way you could help? And that was our first attorney client. Wow. You know, now I think you've managed over 20 million in, in PI PPC leads. Yeah. Um, and P PPC buys. Yeah. Are you doing SEO for other than personal injury lawyers? Yeah. When I talk about us having a, a particular expertise, I don't want to say that there's no advantage to it because certainly knowing your industry and understanding your business model is yeah. definitely an advantage. And, and particularly being able to speak to the prospect. But having said that, in many respects, SEO is agnostic. The principles that mm -hmm. work for casino works for injury and for plumber and so on and so forth. However, uh, we do some really interesting stuff. Of course, injury happens to be one of the most competitive niches in the world as far as SEO is concerned. And that has translated really well into working with some celebrities and, and uh, uh, really high profile executives when they sometimes have reputation issues or lawsuits or different things that they want cleaned up. Because I often tell people, and I think this is true for everyone, even if you're not a celebrity, but I, I firmly believe that, that in today's age, the first page of Google has become your resume. Mm. It is your CV, right? Like people are going to search you by name at some point in the process of, of choosing you. Yeah. You know, you talk about agnostic, right? Mm. By industry. And that to me means that the life cycle of somebody going into Google or Yahoo, wherever, and searching for something has a consistent, that looks consistent whatever industry that may be. So if somebody's going into looking for tire sales or personal injury, that happens similarly, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, and Google, I think, talks probably about this idea that you just described, probably more so than any other particular or granular detail of like SEO or pay-per-click. They talk about the journey from search to purchase or checkout or hire or whatever it is they're they're doing and i think it's worthwhile to point out that like if that's the case if that's what google focuses on more so than loopholes and tricks mm. and tactics it would be wise for us to do the same for sure what does that look like what does that journey look like in context of injury law i think i can describe what it looks like but i also think that there's some aspects of it that are highly overlooked by a lot of firms um, for example, the one that I just brought up a few minutes ago about the your your CV or your resume being the first page of Google for your name. I think that's highly underrated. What it looks like um, is people will go do a non-branded search at what I call the, the moment of choice. Um, in fact, Google often refers to this as like, the zero moment of choice, right? So in the past, the old school advertisers used to talk about the moment of choice being at your local grocer's freezer, right? And they were kind of putting it in the context of like, you have eight seconds to grab their attention because they're about to pick up something out of the freezer. 
so Google started talking about this idea and they they nicknamed it Zmot, which just stands for zero moment of truth. And they were basically saying that that window had shifted away from the grocer's freezer to search engines. Mm. And then that really is where the moment of choice happens. So I think what's probably most salient for an injury law firm to understand is that I think they tend to look at that moment in a vacuum as if you could simply say like, oh, well, that person called me off of my PPC ad. And so therefore, PPC got me that conversion. And what I like to ask people is put yourself in the shoes of that person who was injured. And then imagine a scenario where you're sitting there and you've just done a non-branded search. Right. You've been in, you've been in your market for 15 years. On the page, what are you seeing? You're seeing the local service ads at the top. Mm -hmm. You're seeing the pay-per-click ads below that. You're seeing the maps and then the organic results. If you imagine being that person, remember that it's a non-branded search. If you are one of those choices in that top section and no one's ever heard of you, but the other six or so options are people who have a really, really strong brand. It may be the case that LSA, PPC, or Maps ends up getting the call. But to, a, to an extent, there's a blended conversion happening there where brand is absolutely a portion of the you know, the recognition. Oh, I know that. Oh, I'm going to read their reviews. Oh, let me search out this guy. And I think what really became a big, huge light bulb moment for me was one day uh, we were going through and we decided to kind of do a little internal study because of a, a software platform that we own. We had analytics hooked up to hundreds of personal injury law sites. And Collectively, we looked, at, we examined somewhere in the neighborhood of about 20 million visits on personal injury law sites. And I saw a trend emerging that I thought was really illuminating about the journey to becoming a client. What would you guess, Judd, out of 20 million visits, if you had to guess between the homepage, the car accident page, or your personal bio, which one do you think out of those gets? the number one amount of visits? Well, from we do ask our clients and what they're searching. From the feedback I've heard is uh, generally they, they really love to go to results. They love to go to the attorney page, which is my bio or the attorney who's handling their case. So they're right. going to go to that bio. If yeah. I assign the case to a different lawyer, they're reading that bio. We, we see that, right? Yep. So I, I would have to go with maybe my bio. Number one on every single one of the websites. Mm. Not the home page, not the case type page. And yet when we go through the design process of building those sites, mm. right, 90 cents of our design dollar gets spent on homepage, right? homepage. jazzed up homepage, yeah. vanilla bio. Vanilla as can be, yeah. right? Usually, yeah. usually if you have mark. more than a paragraph. Oh yeah, entirely. So, um, so I think what it looks like to go back and, and with all that background, what I think it looks like is people are unaware or they're aware of a, a particular brand until they need you, when they need you. I think the majority of them do non-branded searches, but then 
brand ends up being what creates a tipping point once they see their choices. And then they go on your website. Now from there, Google refers to this moment as the messy middle. Okay. And I think it's, it's an apt description because they're going to do one of several things. Read your reviews, read your bio, hmm. tool around and look at case results. Maybe they watch some of your videos, or, but it's some combination of those things. Then they're going to reach out. And at that point, obviously, your ability to sign them up uh, turns over to like your intake and, and, uh, and the firm's ability at that point. But I think that it's pretty consistent that that's what the journey for, for somebody looks like. It sounds like, to me, I want to catch them in that messy middle Yep. in standing out from the crowd, right? I think of it like there's a service, right? So somebody's involved, at least in my industry, involved in a motor vehicle accident as compared to the person who's got a flat tire or needs new tires. Yeah. So they have a need and they're using Google to search for information to fill that need. And that's what we call a lead. And in order to convert that lead, we have to stand out in the crowd to capture them to do more than just look at that information, but take an action, fill out a contact page, call us, uh, fill out an inquiry, whatever. And then we, we need to act fast because we're going to be judged on that, right? They, mm -hmm. they, they want an immediate, what is it like when they call? Does somebody <clears throat> answer the phone? Are they sent through a whole long phone tree? Is it frustrating? Is somebody sound pleasant and, and informative, right? And so- that's their gut check out, coming out of the messy middle and choosing yeah. the person. And I think of the messy middle as like all the research papers and the books and everything that they're trying to gather as if it was a hard copy rather than online. And, and online, the SEO, search engine optimization, simply means trying to get us in, in front of that person, being part of the messy middle, right? Yeah. But the other side of it, the client side of it, and I have to say, being fully transparent, I'm a Clixy client. So Judge Shaw Entry Law uses Clixy for yes. our SEO. We're very pleased with the service we've been provided so far. It's been great. Uh, I think we see a big difference and, and uh, we're not getting anything out of this between you and I. It's just, yeah. you know, me bringing you on is a way to bring to the listeners another resource, another information, clearing up that messy middle, right? So anybody who's interested yeah. in, in client service with SEO, this would be a great topic because when I think of client yeah. service, I think of what we often talk about is what happens when someone walks in the office? Does the receptionist have a great smile? That ambassador of your first impression of the office, do they make a positive one? Do they ask for anything, you know, want something for water? Or do they wait a long time? Are they, all that is client service, right? Yeah. And we can still see that in a different way online. Yeah. Right. It's how, you know, when they go to the website, are they getting the information? Is the information pleasant? Is the information readily available? Is it fast? All of those things still happen. So there is a, an effect of client service on the SEO side, right? Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think this really speaks to something I've been evangelizing for the, for the past year or so. And that is that I really believe that you are going to start seeing over the next two to five years a sort of a blending of disciplines to where I don't know that in five years, I don't know that it'll even make sense for somebody to say, oh, they do SEO 
and they do pay-per-click and mm. those guys do websites, right? Because I think what's happening and it, and it speaks really to this principle of, of client service and client experience. If you go back and I'm a big fan, no matter what you talk to me about, whether it be NBA basketball, canyoneering, my Jeep or SEO or marketing, I'm always going to go back to bedrock principles because I love the things that don't change, mm. particularly when we're trying to figure out what is that in relation to all the things that will change, right? None of us can control Google. None of us has a looking glass into what they're going to do, except that there are bedrock principles and we can listen to what they do tell us and sort of ascertain from that where they're headed. The thing they've always been saying all along, you go read their mission statement and their mission is to organize and make the world's information useful and accessible. Mm. They're trying to do precisely what you just described happening in an offline environment, in an online environment, right? Right. So to the degree that that's true, I really believe that we are needing to move more in a direction of thinking through the experience far more than the granular tactics. Okay. It's like, for example, when somebody arrives on your site, where they go should be used as a breadcrumb for you to think right. through like, well, maybe what if I took that thing that they just went and searched for? And what if I made it easier for them to find on the homepage? I really believe that if it isn't already, I really believe that that's going to be an integral piece to, to quote, doing SEO in the future. Well, it means that you're even being intentional yeah. about how you want someone to visit your site as much as if you'd want them to visit your office. 100%. When I walk around my office, there was a lot of time I looked into what does that reception desk look like? What does it need? Mm -hmm. What are the supplies? What is the couch? What are the waiting room? What, what's the, where, where's the next place they're going? Let me walk along, make sure there's not garbage and stuff I don't want them like looking at, you know, on the way to the, the next office that they're going to be at. And what is that? Is that comfortable? Is that an environment? It's that same thing, right? It's the same yeah. principle. It's still a client service. You're just not engaging in that same way. But if you're intentional about it, you really are on the back end, yeah? 100%. In fact, for the last year or so, I've been telling the people I speak to about when they come to me and say, my, my website's outdated, right? And we have this thing in the, in the personal injury space where everybody hears about on average once every year to two or three years, oh, like it's time, we're going to refresh the website. And then what happens is this, I think they arrive at everything nine times out of 10, purely based on gut instinct and preference. And in many cases, just it comes down to they look around and say who in the market is successful. And then in their mind, they somehow skip to the conclusion that they're successful, at least in part, because this thing that I've identified, you know, like their website design. So, all right, we're just going to, we're just going to follow their lead. And to use, uh, there's a metaphor I love using all the time. And that's that, that I think most of the time when we do that, we're just really copying off 
someone else's paper. And we better hope it's not the dumbest kid in class. Yeah, you know, you don't know what you don't know, though. And so that's a great segue into how does someone determine the right vendor for for them? Mm. So if I I have a my my office looks and feels a certain way, and I wanted that intentionally for culture collaboration. It's a big open floor plan. There are not tons and tons of offices. I don't yeah. want everybody quarreled away into four corners of a room, not engaging with the rest of the team. I always believe that if my lawyers are talking to each other and support, our cases are going to be worked up better. So we've created that environment. The same thing with our, our reception area, right? I, we didn't really want people sitting in like a waiting room with other clients. So we have a, a client lounge which yeah. allows for freer access to move around and, and, and also be triaged in, yeah. a, in a more personalized way, right? So all of these were intentional. So if I want that, I'm going to go and say, okay, I want to design my office. I'm not picking an interior decorator that is all wood paneled and traditional. Mm. That's great. A lot of law firms have that, not my style. Mm. So I'm going to pick somebody, but I can generally see a portfolio. Maybe they take me to an office that they've done. Maybe I see pictures, right? Mm -hmm. So when I'm going to choose my SEO provider, my vendor, yeah. the person who's going to make my online experience the way I would have my office experience. But all I know, Corey, is that when I go to Google, I can type in google.com, the bar comes up and it allows me to search anything from, you know, anything in the world and I get information on, right? That's yeah. what I know. Now, being in, in personal injury, I do have a good working knowledge of marketing such as PPC, Google Ads, LSA, these kind of things. Yeah. But really, in the end, it's still to me because it's it's computer, it's the coding, it's the back end of it, it's the website stuff, it's the analytics. It's a little wizard behind you know Wizard of Oz. It's like behind the curtain. And even if I pull the curtain back, yeah. I don't know if I know that this is the right designer for me. Yeah. And more importantly, is it really? And the most thing is. What I can see when I hire an interior decorator that comes to my office in the end, Corey, I see what that reception desk looks like. I see what the couch looks like. I can physically feel it and see it. Online, you can't do that because a lot of stuff's on the back end. What would you say to people who are uh, searching for a vendor, a company to work with? What kind mm -hmm. of questions, what should they be looking at? It's something we could spend an entire episode and maybe two on. I think there's a lot of facets, but I'll try high level to hit some of the things I think matter the most. The one I'll start with is, and selfishly, I'm going to use a quote from one of my longest uh, standing clients, Richard Harris out of Vegas. He often says that the reason we still work together is because we've stood the test of time. And I'll tell you, like nobody has played harder to get than that man. I, I love Rick to death, but it took a long time for us to earn his trust. And, and so uh, having a track record of real results obviously is one of the first things you should look for. And, and I don't think that you can just easily come across a group of client, past and existing clients without being able to have some merit. So asking others what what their experience has been is is certainly I would take their word for it over my own. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be biased, right? 
the other thing I would look for is like you mentioned the importance within your own law firm of developing intentionally the culture. And I think that the culture always flows from leadership, like 100% of the time, whether it's intentional or not, that will happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And true, I can't think of anything that matters more to William and I than the Clixie culture. We talk about it constantly. And maybe if that's 1A, 1B is getting results for the clients. And I really do think it goes in that order because one follows the other. I agree. Because of our culture, they're going to get results, right? We uh, internally, we talk about something called the three R's, which is um, results, relationship, and reporting. And we live and die by those values that we will always work to protect and to develop and build those. Obviously, track record also is going to leave clues, right? So who we've worked with, uh, I think matters or, and I'm not trying to make this into a pitch for me, but generally speaking, who the agency has worked with obviously speaks volumes. And it's not something I would look at in a vacuum, but in the, as uh, I, re I remember learning back in the day from lawyers that there's a concept called the totality of the circumstance, right? Right. So that's one piece of evidence that you should definitely put in there. Another thing that I think matters quite a bit is I really highly value candidness and the, the humility to say, we screwed that up. That was our bad. We'll fix it. But, you know, admitting mistakes. We're, yeah. We've got some great results, but we're not perfect. And so I, th I think if you can kind of look for some of those characteristics, I will say this too. I think the job at hand or the job to be done matters a lot because I think that there are certain things that require specialists, right? Ranking for the most difficult keywords in the world requires some specialization. On the other hand, I think there are certain tasks that can be done in a very efficient, very automated way. So you're going to want to evaluate that. And what is it I'm trying to get accomplished? I also think, too, the difficulty in choosing a provider, at least in part, is that there's so much vernacular and terminology, and it's moving and constantly changing. Sure. That's partially why I value the, the candor so much is because I would say at least 20% of my week on average is me talking to the CMOs or the marketing directors or the founders of the firm. And they'll be, hey, I got this email. Hey, I was at this conference. Uh, I saw this thing. I don't even know what they're talking about, but it sounds cool. Should we do it? Right. And it, that's a, a huge part of my week is just simply breaking down the vernacular and allowing right. them. To, I like that you use the Wizard of Oz is like, honestly, a lot of times I'm just peeking back behind the curtain for them and saying, there you go. That's right. what's really going on. Right. Right. You know, speaking of change, Corey, where, where do you see where do, where do you see the big change in, in five years, three, five years in, in, in search engine optimization? AI. I think that. AI is going to revolutionize the digital marketing industry in ways that, that we really probably can't even fully conceive. But I think that I think that there's two big things that I would be paying attention to. One is the degree to which AI is going to replace certain roles. I think that, for example, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I've 
spent a lot of other people's money on pay-per-click. And uh, that job is, its days are numbered. Google is going to do that portion, right? Google is yeah. going to handle, in, in fact, they, they almost already do now, yeah. but it's coming. The day's coming in which they're going to do the budgets, the bids, the creative. They're going to write all the copy. They're going to do all the targeting. They're going to do all the bid, the uh, building of audiences. So then it's like, well, what is my job at that point? And I think that the, the problem that we're going to have is one of data sanitization. Machines always are going to have this problem of the age old adage of garbage in, garbage out. Mm -hmm. And I, I've been telling people right now that I, I, I still think that to a degree, pay-per-click for personal injury law firms right now is a bit broken. And what I mean by that is that you take e-commerce and it's a closed loop transaction. Somebody can, Google can see the search, the visit, what they did, the checkout, and they can see details about the individual, right? They can, they have their credit card information. They've got their credit bureau information. They've got all kinds of stuff. So they can mm. sort of piece that whole puzzle together and come up with uh, a way to predict, well, who else would be interested in this widget? Who gets hurt is completely random. There's no major commonalities between that. Now, we can talk about some ways in which there's commonalities, but not as far as Google's concerned, right? So we have a problem with the data that's both going in and coming out. And I think that's going to be a sweet spot for digital agencies mm. is figuring out how they can be a sort of a liaison in sanitizing and, and providing that data. Interpreting it is is always going to be necessary. I think that uh, you're going to see, as I described earlier, sort of a, a movement of SEO and pay-per-click and web development all sort of merging into one discipline. Yeah. In the Right? So I look at it like this with, with regards to pay-per-click. I think what we do right now in terms of adding content to our websites for the purposes of SEO is going to be the precursor to what targets and writes copy and creative for the pay-per-click ads of the future, right? Interesting. Yeah. So that's that's where I see things headed. I've seen already, although I, I think it's too early to really be effective, where they're trying to, talking about AI, where somebody would go and they're involved in a an accident. And so they don't search direct brand and they also don't search terms like personal right. injury attorney, New Jersey. Right. What they do do is they search police department, Lynnhurst, New Jersey, mm -hmm. right? Because now they're trying to get a police report. Maybe they call from there, right? From Google. They may have um, typed in the hospital or a chiropractor mm -hmm. in somewhere in New Jersey, right? And so what happens is AI, the Google is picking up that they're searching for these things. They're not terms, but they're things. And if you put the things together, yeah. It means somebody's been involved in an accident. 100%. And so now they're searching and they go on Google and suddenly they, out of the blue, right, they get the contact judge show entry law. Yeah. You know, hurt in an accident, demand justice, need, ju ju you know, compensation, contact us, right? And so yeah. that person does it, but they were involved in an accident, but at that point they may not have already been thinking about an attorney. And then AI is almost like bringing that out early. 
I, I've seen some iterations of it. I don't think it's great so far no. because what I have seen is the people that are, you know, you, you really out of those, there are so few actual leads that can be converted to cases because the AI hasn't learned enough. So That's right. you get, you, you know, you get this information from this person and they contact you, they fill out something and you contact them and, and it certain, turns out that they just need a, a referral to a chiropractor or they're trying to get help with having to get a police report or something, right? Yeah. But that it's some cool stuff. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. What you just described has been sort of my, my white whale for the past four or five years. I've spoken to, I don't know, 20 or so outfits that claim to be building that system that you just described. And yeah, I, not yet have I ever found one that, that lives up to the promise. Yeah. Well, uh, Corey, if somebody wants to get in touch with uh, Clixi and, and get more information from you, how do we go about doing that? Clixi.com, C-L-I-X-S-Y.com. If you leave out the S, you will end up buying a watch from somebody in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> You can Google us and our Google business profile has a phone number and it goes straight to me. Corey, thanks so much for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Some really great information and keep doing the great work, man. Judd, you're the man. Thank you, sir. Thanks, buddy. Are you ready to take the next step to creating an unforgettable brand? Subscribe to the Judge Shaw way in your favorite podcast app and join the conversation on social media at Judge Shaw Injury Law. Have topic suggestions or questions? Email us at podcast at juddshawinjurylaw.com and be sure to include an address where we can send you some cool swag. Attorney advertising materials. This podcast is designed for general information purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as legal advice for an individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create and viewing does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No aspect of this advertisement has been approved by the Supreme Court. Any results set forth herein are based upon the facts of that particular case and do not represent a promise or guarantee. Those with legal questions should seek the advice of an attorney.